oh, 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 oh. Scott has. Are you okay? Were you just gonna kiss the webcam? No, I wasn't gonna. I was trying to get my shirt that Scott hasn't seen. Oh, you son of a bitch! <laughs> Got oh. it on a hot topic. Did you? Hot. Topic. That's cool. Yeah. How much? Yep. Um. It was buy one, get one half off. Ben got a, one that has a Tyrannosaurus Rex in a rowboat, and it goes row, 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 aw, because he can't reach the <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how many people don't get that. I don't get it. Have you he seen the dinosaur the one where it says, if you're happy and you know it, clap your knee, goes, aw. <laughs> I like that one, too. It's a T-Rex. <laughs> Back to the bin. How's it going, Bill? Oh, super. Nothing like being insulted. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you wearing the same Superman shirt. You're probably never going to change your shirt now that you have Mike Bailey in it. <laughs> I like that shirt. Where'd you get that? Oh, I've had the shirt for years. That's nice. Yeah, he was the, uh... he was sent to Earth in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You like you like Marlon Marlon Brando in reverse. <laughs> yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> well, we need, we're gonna need verification on that. Call out my son. I'm hearing Hello, a lot man. of people now blasting his performance in that movie. Uh, Talking about how he mailed it in. You know what? People that want to bash on uh, on Superman the movie first need to line up to kiss my ass because they really piss me off. I still I still love the movie. The only thing I don't like about the movie and I haven't liked in a long time is Otis. I could do without Otis. You know, you I like, wish you, you don't like. Mr. I Luther? wish you had never said that because I I I can't help but agree with you. And uh, and now because you pointed it out, it bothers me that much more every time I watch it. Now I'm like, you know, Paul's right. This really hasn't aged well, and and it will continue not to age well now. But and and it's a shame because if you removed him from it, it's fine. There's no, there's, there's, I really don't have any flaws in the movie at all, other than him. Well, you know, I've I've often heard people criticize um, Gene Hackman's performance as Lex Luthor, is that you know he's just hamming it up, he's just chewing the scenery, he's he's not a threat, and all this. I'm wondering if they're mistaking the levity of Otis's character for, you know, Lex Luthor not being serious. Because I think when Luthor tricks Superman into the kryptonite, I still think that's one of the, the scariest, like, villain scenes out there. Because oh, you realize he's, he's this pure guy evil is in that. pure, exactly, yeah. he's purely, he's psychotic. And that he's perfectly willing to sacrifice, you know thousands of people to get thousands, what he wants millions yeah, po- yeah possibly millions yeah if he if he ends up making california you know if his mm-hmm. scheme goes through and yeah you're right millions of people and 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 from you know i mean his comic timing and delivery is awesome mm-hmm. i have no problems at all with with hackman's performance i have no problems with marlon brando's performance people want to blast that one i don't really see the problem with it i see him as a you know a noble character i i don't know yeah. I, he plays fine for me like i said my only flaw is luther is is, is otis and it's well, really just because he was written so stupid that it just bothers me well okay how can he really technically 
if you look at the character of Jor-El in that movie, he really is not with his son. So how is he, right? Because he's just a, uh, um, not, like an abstract. He'll never be alone. No, he's not actually real. He's basically a recording, albeit a rather intelligent AI recording. So you can make the argument that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think you can make the argument that his performance is perfect because he's not really there. He's not really a human being. He's not real. He's only recording. So, of course, he, he how's he supposed to convey emotion if he's really just a computer, you know, a computer simulation? I, you know, I don't know where I'm going with that. You know what I mean? No, but even, right? even the scenes on Krypton. What? Even the scenes that take place on Krypton. He's not he's not a simulation at that point. He isn't. Mm, given, that's true. He isn't given the action hero role that Russell Crowe was given in the new movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different. It's a very, very different part the way they wrote it. You, but you can see, to me, it's not mailed in. You could see his exacerbation with the uh, council. You could see his his disgust with Zod and and his his strength against Zod. You know, even when Zod's threatening, like you know, future generations and stuff. I, I don't know. I I think his performance is fine. Well, the Kryptonians as a whole, isn't that are kind of. Uh, are cold and aloof, don't you think? And, yes. I mean, the way they're conveyed. So yes, and really, as is the whole world. Right. It's very sanitized, cold. I don't know. I don't think it. You know, I think for the performance with what he was given was probably what it should be. But maybe I don't want to argue. I don't argue with people when they say that. I, I, you know what? I'm I'm done with that. <laughs> Some people who disagree with me, that's fine. Just disagree. I don't care. I don't need to argue with them. But uh, yeah, I've, I've got 20, I've got two uh, two guardians now, two guardian shirts now, and I haven't wore either one of them yet because they're they're both awesome, but they're both black, and I'm like, I am not wearing a black t-shirt outside during this. Uh, I'm gonna scorch that tomorrow. I'm gonna yeah. wear that tomorrow on on the flight home. Cool. Uh, uh, so Mike and I had a good time tonight. What'd you do? We went down to the uh, to the uh, Chinese Cajun place. Chinese Cajun place. Chinese Cajun. <laughs> That's about what Mike said. What? <laughs> I said, ah, trust me. Come on, let's go. So uh, I had a nice plate of fried rice and uh, some uh, French fries. Yeah. What's the matter? Was that the carb special? <laughs> yeah. Can you just have mayonnaise? Had fried can I have an IV of mayonnaise, French please? fries, and bread. <laughs> And then I, hey, there was, then I had some mashed shrimp, potatoes. There was shrimp in my fried rice too, and some eggs. Oh, so that's like your your that's your vegetable. Yeah, there I, there might have been some vegetables in there. I don't know. And I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna go grab an iced tea because uh, I'm getting parched here just talking about your uh, carb load. Oh, we had to, we both had tea as well. And you know what? I think really loading up on carbs is is really good if you're a diabetic. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna fall into a coma while we're recording this episode. <laughs> well, that's why I got the video camera on. That way you can watch me. Huh? Yes, my he's friend going, just fell going. into a diabetic coma. Where where can we find him? Well, he lives in Port Ritchie, but he's in Georgia. But, but he's somewhere in Georgia. So if you could we check could every hotel guy room that... in Georgia, you might find him. <laughs> we could call another guy who was with him two hours ago that knows exactly where he's at. But he lives an hour. Well, Mike away. is passed out too. <laughs> Oh, is this what we're doing tonight? We're doing the camera thing tonight? Well, I, I have to keep up with Bill. Where's your camera? There's No, no, no. There's a reason that this is audio. 
You got a face. I don't have to look at your ugly bastards the entire time. Well, nobody else is going to see this. <laughs> what are you drinking, Snapple? Yeah. Ah, uh, Snapple your leg. <laughs> Snapple your uh, neck. Code red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you need. That's what you need. <laughs> have have <laughs> have some more sugar. Well, while we're we're doing our synopsis, you're going to have those sticks that you pour into your mouth. I'm I'm hoping that the part in uh, in uh, the Conjure month there where I was giving him shit about that is is I left it in because I was saying the same thing because he was that's all he drank the entire time. I said, "Aren't you diabetic at some point?" I t- I, I <laughs> it's remember diet. It's that. diet. It's diet. It's yeah, diet Mountain Dew. You're the one that was Bill, drinking Mountain Dew. Bill, before we go any further. Where's your hotel? It's this way when you pass out, I can check the recording and, and send the uh, ambulance to the right place. I'm in... I'm on... Sugarloaf Parkway. Sugarloaf. You can't even get away from it in your, in your, uh, in your hotel choices. <laughs> I'm in room 304. At... <laughs> what are you doing? I missed it. He's got three different things of sugary drink there. Good lord. That's okay. I have pills to counteract everything. Yeah, that's that's true. You just take an extra 10 or 20 of them. <laughs> uh, All right. Are we ready to do this thing or what? Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's light this candle. What's that? I said let's light this candle. Who right. said that? That was... Uh, one of the guys, uh, oh, it's it's from Apollo. <laughs> 30. It's one of the space guys. I can't remember which one. Yeah, it is. It was it's Rocket one Raccoon. Of them. Which one? It's not. It's not Grissom. Nope. Uh, it was Groot. It was America's Shepherd? first man in space. Shepard. Yes, Alex it was. Shepherd. Al Shepard. I'm so. Proud I say of that at work sometimes when I test the fire alarm. I'm like, let's light this candle, and the guys look at me and go, "Eh, okay." <laughs> let's okay. drink this Mountain Dew. Let's light. <laughs> Let's drink this too. Wouldn't, how, how much different this country would be if, if Alan Shepard had said that? <laughs> he just he said, you know what? Screw this. Let me out. I'm out of here. <laughs> I need a Mountain Dew. I'm not going to the moon without Mountain Dew. <laughs> you know, hey, did you hear they bring back Surge? <laughs> I know. I was all excited for like half a second. And I'm like, wait, I can't drink that. Well, you're drinking Mountain Dew. No, you 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 are you are painting me in a false light, sir. I had a little bit that one day because I think there was like nothing else in the refrigerator to drink. But no, 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 no. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was you. Hey, I had one bottle all day. Yeah, two Car- liter. <laughs> and it was car temperature too. Oh, that was so nasty. It's hotter than coffee. Nasty. Oh. Car temperature Mountain Dew. It was in the sun all day. It came oh, out of conjure, and I'm like, and like, hey Scott, watch. I thought you were gonna freak out. You're like, oh, that's disgusting, man. That is pretty gross. Delicious. I could have pissed colder than what was in that bottle. I'm telling. <laughs> the nectar of the gods. Hot Mountain Dew. Oh, I thought you were talking about Scott's piss. <laughs> God, it's gross. Yeah, but surge, but they never had diet surge, so I can't drink it. What was that other one like? Like Jolt. last cola or something? Jolt. 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 Me yeah. and, in high school, me you and my get buddy some of that Dave. Honeywell. Oh man, Joel Cole. Hello, I'm still here. Uh oh, I think we lost Bill, Bill. Bill. I think. Oh, you know what? He did, said did about ten fifteen that his. Uh, <laughs> he said at ten fifteen his internet was going to wonk out and he'd have to oh, resubscribe yeah, for another. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, Tom Harris just came online. We could replace Bill in a second. Tom Harris? I'd be good with that. We'll just replace him. He's no, he's fungible. I'm back. There he is. I had to, uh, I had to re-up the internet. Remember, the internet goes out. Yeah. Because when I got here, I, I clocked, I logged on at ten fifteen the first night I got here. And every twenty four hours, it expires. So cool. Ta-da. Sucks. <laughs> All right. So, comic books, huh? Well, I would say before we get into this, are you guys going to leave your video on? Because it, no, it I'm might, gonna, I'm gonna come oh, on no, lag, I don't want to kill It me. might lag the call a little bit. Yeah, no, we'll just kill it. Bye. Aha, I'm naked now. <laughs> <laughs> now we won't know when you ah! <laughs> We'll just hear the bang as you hit the floor. <laughs> I, I should lift my shirt and then turn the camera back on, but... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an image I want shortly before I go to bed. I'm not going to look. <laughs> oh my god i'm blind <laughs> all right you're uh, bringing this in who's who's got it today not me bill why don't you bring it in you have you're not doing anything the last two days yeah you're not oh, doing anything true. else that's for true. this episode i know i'm such a hanger honor it's it's sad i'd bring <laughs> it in but i got the first book i think so and you know, i'd bring it in but i, I have got... a book too Hello and welcome to another exciting thrill packed episode with only two books of Back to the Bins. <laughs> I am the bringer inner this episode, Dr. Bill Robinson, who didn't bring a book and is on the road working hard for the money. And with me are my two good buddies, Pigface Spall Pataro. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's all the it's all the carbs. I'm feeling a little a little lightheaded. Pig face Paul's star. <laughs> Pig face Paul. I like that. Pig face Paul. PFP. PFP. Producer Pig face Paul. There we go. And wrestling Abe Lincoln Scott Gardner. <laughs> Four score and I'll whoop your ass. Do you know anybody who's not on Skype though is still not going to know what we're what exactly we're talking about. No idea what we're laughing about, but that's okay. <laughs> it's all in Some, good fun. Someday these pictures will have to be posted, but not today. Yes. Especially the pig face one, because that's gotten a lot of airtime in the last couple of months. Oh, God, it's, it's frightening. Fair. I mean, what I, what is it? Is it from like a movie or something? Or it's like I a honestly have no hybrid. idea. We we were talking one day and changing pictures. I think it, it may have been the uh, the episode when we did the Wilfred Brimley thing. <laughs> and for some reason, like a, a pig man came up, and I just did like a an image search for a pig man, and this is what I found. Ah, it's disturbing. It's disturbing on so many levels. I'm, I'm thinking it's disturbing because it's almost like looking in a mirror. <laughs> hey, nah, don't say that about yourself, Paul. I think he's a cute little fella. You just he wanna, is like, not. Rub, you just want to take your index finger and like scratch him under the chin. I like to eat him. <laughs> or, or make bacon out of him. Mmm, bacon. Uh, he's got a okay. picture of Bruce Willis. What's that? For the pig face picture of Bruce Willis. <laughs> ah, but that's enough pig faces. So, so in the last week, anybody have any new comic book news? Last, well, what was that? That would be what twenty four hours since. Oh wait, shh, be behind the scenes, behind the scenes. Shh. I I have just a, a little bit. I I need to tease Bill because oh. you just just wave carbs in front of a, a, a webcam. I I could turn my <laughs> video back on. I could tease you. <laughs> <laughs> now, I need to tease you because uh, a couple of days ago, 
Let me see what the heck is today. Today is Thursday. So this was uh, this was Sunday. This past Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, a good friend of ours, uh, a listener to the show, uh, and two true freaks devotee, um, Michael Siderlo was down here uh, in Orlando. He was vacationing at uh, Walt Disney World with his family, and we met up. Uh, briefly over in Epcot, just kind of hung out for about an hour and uh, just shot the breeze and got to know each other a little bit and rode, uh, rode Maelstrom, um, which sadly is closing down soon, which really bums me out. What's up with that? That's like the best ride. I know. Not I, know. The, I mean, I love it's not the best ride. ride, but of the the different country rides, it's the best ride. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. There's only two anyway, so yeah, of the, yeah. Of the two, it's the best one, but... Yeah, I know. I'm I'm pretty bummed out about it, but it was cool to meet Michael and uh, you know because we talked quite a bit, you know, or you know, messaged I, I should say quite a bit back and forth on uh, on Facebook and stuff. But it's always nice to actually get to meet you know these folks that that we really only know through the show and through the internet and everything to actually you know meet them face to face and shake hands and you know learn a little bit about them and find out what they sound like in real life and everything like that. And uh, he's a, he's a heck of a guy. And I, uh, I'd like to try to get him on the show sometime if we could, cause he's, he's got a great passion for comics as well. Yeah. He and but, I uh, have had some messages back and forth. We have some similar backgrounds where he lives more or less in your neck of the woods. I mean, I mean, you guys aren't like, you know, a stone throw away, but I mean, not, it wouldn't be like incredible distances to meet up sometime either. No, no, it wouldn't. And I'm trying to remember if he said he was going to New York Comic Con or not. I I don't recall. I'm trying to remember if it even came up in conversation or not. But um, if but he anyway, is, he hasn't mentioned it to me yet. So he, I'm not uh, sure. This this may actually air after New York Comic Con, so it's not going to be uh, okay. out at this point. Well, he uh, he laid on me a, a, a giant stack of stuff, a giant uh, stack of swag. Oh, keep rubbing included, it in our faces, uh, you get all books, <laughs> books, and and that's comics okay. Mike Bailey gave me some stuff. comics tonight too. He gave me some Transformer comics. Did he? Yes, he did. Well, little well, I'm, well doesn't get nothing. <laughs> well, I'm going through this ball. stack of stuff that uh, that Michael gave to me, and I get to a couple books that I'm just I'm floored. I'm like, whoa, wait, what? And he said, "Oh, he goes. He goes. You, you need to. Can, he goes. Can you do this for me? He goes. I, I know that uh, that Doctor Bill lives down here somewhere. Can you make sure that he gets these books? So I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. You know, at some point, I'm sure we'll. You know, our, our paths will cross. If nothing else, we've got um, what you call it, Jekyll Con coming up in December and everything, which is actually fast approaching now that I think about it. Oh yeah. But uh, you are you're not going to believe <coughs> what he's got for you. I was just like." Wow, you know, I, I couldn't believe that somebody had this in their collection and actually just, you know, just wanted to give it up to somebody else. I'm, I'm. Is it Apollo you're, Smile too? You're gonna be pretty. You're gonna be pretty impressed. You're gonna. You're not. You're not gonna believe it. I'll just put it that way. Well, what? what, what <laughs> you gotta tell he, me he what it is. Me prom- he made me promise uh. not to, only to tease you and not to tell you until I actually give you the books. And then he said, "You have to talk about it on the show." So and, that's, and, that's uh, the deal. What What did he give you to give to me? Um, I think when you came up in conversation, he said Paul who, but I, I, I don't. Know. You say that's a step up from usually when people say <laughs> "fuck Paul." <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it this way: I there may be some doubles in this stuff. If there's doubles, then I'll, I'll send them your way. All right, so I could have the shit. <laughs> <laughs> they have used cast-offs. Not what I said. Not what I said at all. Well, I'm just going to have to pull up your address in my GPS and drive to your house. There you go. 
I think if anybody owes anybody a visit, I owe you a visit because you've been up here what like two or three times now. So I need to I need to make my way down there. You're but always that's, welcome. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I've uh, I mean not since like last show or anything, but probably since the last time we all got together to to talk. I think I may have gotten some some new old back issues, but I've I, I failed to like make a stack or make a note of what they were or whatever. So I don't remember. I'm quickly losing track of what i have talked about having gotten recently and what i haven't and i don't want to seem like i'm bragging every episode so i'll just say uh you know i got this stuff from michael and that's pretty much my comic news for this for this episode what do you guys got i got nothing nobody gives me nothing (laughs) (laughs) you have our love and adoration pig face boy (laughs) it's time to put out the call for more free shit there you go (laughs) well i did get like I said, I got the the stuff from Mike tonight. The uh, uh, from Michael Bailey. We 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 met up and had dinner uh, while I was up here. You tell um, everybody what you had. A little bit outside of Atlanta, I had some stuff, <laughs> some shrimp. No, no, you didn't have shrimp. I had some, something that had shrimp in it. <laughs> I had some seasoned fries and some fried uh, some uh, fried rice with shrimp in it. Rather large and Mountain plate. Dew. <laughs> no, I had uh, unsweet tea for dinner. I've been drinking Mountain Dew during the podcast. <laughs> that, the, the, the sugar in that sweet tea would kill you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, had to, I had to cut back somewhere. <laughs> well, back to comics, uh, anyway. Uh, I don't think... You, you and I, Paul, had a conversation about Uncanny Avengers. I don't think you were around for that, were you, Scott? Have, mm, have you read so. any of those? I the have Uncanny not. Avengers book? No. Ah, yeah, because I picked up a bunch for um, like a buck a piece. So I got like the first fifteen issues. It's uh, it's pretty cool. It's it's you know it's pretty good for a dollar. Uh, That's a all book. spinning out of the Avengers versus X Men thing, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got a combined team of X Men and Avengers that Havoc is leading, and it's uh, there's some pretty cool, some pretty cool. It reminds me of storylines of old. Hmm. So uh, Havoc you know, is the leader. Yeah, yeah. Captain America appoints Havoc as the leader of the team because basically the red. A clone of the Red Skull has been um, uh, like a sleeper agent was released, and he steals Xavier's body and grafts or steals somehow is able to steal Xavier's because Professor X is dead. Um, spoiler, and uh, he now has his telepathy, and he's using it to instill hatred against the mutants to create a uh, like a race war versus you know he's really ramping up the humans versus mutant thing. And he's actually going so far as to uh, he programs, um, brainwashes Avalanche to <laughs> brains to uh, bring down a building um, in New York. And then there's another storyline that spins out with Kang and the Apocalypse Twins. Um, it's I'm I'm having a good time with it so far. Hmm. If See, if you can get problem, it for a good price, they pick should it up. charge a buck a piece for these things, and you would enjoy the hell out of them. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'd buy them all. Well, and that's what I do when I go on sale. I pick them up. I'm not paying four bucks a book. I can't afford it. I so I, how did I'm still? I mean, I've been saying the same, singing the same song for since we started this. But I still think if they tried to get the prices down like that, they can increase circulation to such a point that they can make up the money on uh, advertising. I mean, but I don't know what it. Co- oh yeah, I see what you're saying, but I don't know what it costs to produce the book. I don't either, but I, I'm betting. I'm thinking. They're selling such a low amount now that I'm thinking the advertising revenue can make up for you know plus the you know you 
you know, make a you get a buck a piece on them. I'm still thinking you can print them for less than that. Maybe. What were you going to say, Scott? You were starting to say something. Is uh, is Polaris with him in that? Uh, no, mm, no. It's uh, Scarlet Witch, um, Rogue, Thor, Captain America, Wolverine, Wasp, Wonder Man, uh, Havoc. Hmm. Yeah, that that's 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 who's on on the team right now. So how did Havoc wind up back on Earth? Because when we left, when we last saw Havoc, you know, because I I'm well, he even mentions right. that in in one, he you know, he's like, yeah, things have been kind of weird for me lately. I broke up with uh, my girlfriend and um, oh okay, yeah, and uh, was fighting my brother in space. Blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was uh, that was War of Kings. His brother was the head of the. Um, was it the Shi'ar? Yeah, the yes, head, he was yes, the head he of the Shi'ar, the Emperor, right. and he fought uh, Black Bolt because Black Bolt took over the Kree Empire, and mm-hmm. they ended up fighting each other. And I don't know if what's his face is supposed to really be dead or not, but at the end of that, he was—they were both presumed dead from the battle. They really the body? No, I don't think <laughs> then so. Then he's definitely not. Dead. Yeah, exactly. As soon as, as soon as they get desperate for a storyline, he'll be back. I'm trying to remember what the I mean, hell his name was, his brother's name, and I keep uh, drawing a complete Vulcan. That was it. Vulcan. How the hell did I forget that? Yeah, Vulcan. Yeah, he was shit. I didn't like him, but uh, but the storyline was good though. I just didn't like his character. He was kind of stupid. But he's a Brubaker creation. But uh, oh, is he? Yeah. But at some point prior to where I met up with the character, you because know, all this, you know, because it, it's it was like a spin out of uh, of Annihilation and all that. It was like the next big cosmic thing after Annihilation um, Conquest was War of Kings, and where where I came into the story with the Inhumans and and the Shi'ar and all these other characters, the uh, Havoc and and Polaris were kind of leading the Star Jammers, and at some point prior to that, Corsair had been killed. Mm-hmm. And he and he and Polaris, you know, Havoc and Polaris had taken over from from Corsair because, of course, Corsair is Havoc's father. Yeah, because they, they had never... been in the space a long time ago in the X Men. Back when I was still oh, getting okay. the X Men book, uh, they had gone in the space for some reason. So I think they were out in space before the whole Vulcan thing even started. Right. Yeah, that was the impression I got. I've always liked both those characters, but never really followed them much because they just always seem to wind up in like crappy books or crappy storylines. But every once in a while, you know, I, I'd like to check back in with them and just kind of see where they are because I, I do like him. I always thought he had really good potential, and of course, he was one of my favorite uh, breakout characters from um, uh, X Men First Class, the movie X Men First Class. I really liked him. I was glad that he was one of the few surviving. Uh, you know, of the class of X Men, you mm-hmm. know, into the into the new movie that was just out. Because I just rewatched that the other day. It was really good. Really liked that movie. Yeah, that was. I think that's a great movie. I also, I just always liked the visual, especially the way Neil Adams drew him when he would use his power. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's some other things that happen there. I don't really want to mention. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, there's not going to mention how they all die. <laughs> Well, there's like an alternate timeline. There's like some romances that happen. Uh, well, there's always time involved with when Kang's involved. Right. You know, there's people that other people think are dead. There's actually there's some characters that are brought back to life too. So what's the what's the swag that Bailey laid on you? Oh, he uh, gave me a nice stack of uh, Transformers books. I I thought I said that earlier. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Maybe you did. Yeah, yeah you did. 
You rubbed it in my face again. <laughs> Ooh, Actually, are you a Transformers, a Transformers fan? I didn't realize you were a Transformers nah, fan. I'm not. I'm not. That's, I'm just busting chops now. <laughs> just feeling well, lonely. I'm so lonely. <laughs> no, oh, you, oh, you, Bill. I didn't realize you were a Transformers fan. Well, I, uh, it was. I think uh, Mike had some free. extras. <laughs> I did for free. I hey, I'm hey. If it's free. It's for me. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking some Mountain Dew. Give me 11 issues of F-Troop. I'll take it. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I, you never know. You might run low on TP at some point. And a so. bang and a bang and a boom, F-Troop. Yeah, you know, on that subject, I just, Uh-oh. you know... I, 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 <laughs> I was, found the thing to set him up. I yeah, found the here we go. There you go. I was, go, I was waiting, I gotta, I was waiting I, for my opener on this, actually. I got a coma um, coming on. I'm listening coma, back coma, coma, through... Coma, 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 a coma you keep going into song mode, Bill. <laughs> yeah, Scott's starting to argue, so it's time for me to sing. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Scott. I'm listening to to back episodes that I feel like I think I've missed at some point because, well, it was it was a combination of basically two factors. Is uh, a while back I stopped listening to podcasts cold turkey because I was listening to Star Wars audiobooks. And that went on for, I don't know, several months. I got way, way, way behind on all the podcasts I was regularly listening to. Plus, I tend not to really listen to anything that I'm not on. So that combination of factors, there were just a lot of episodes of Back to the Bins that I missed. So I'm I'm slowly getting caught up on them and everything. And I've noticed two disturbing trends, one of which I talked about at the end of the last episode that you guys only ever seem to have guests on when I'm not around. So it which, which I explained because the guests replace like, you. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, what's up with that? It's, that's the thing is, well, it's, you know, you aren't going to come on. I say, okay, who can we fill the spot with? Oh, here's somebody Scott likes. Let's replace with him. Exactly. But then it, it, it creates... I'm what I fear is that it creates the the impression possibly with some of these guest hosts. And I haven't heard this come up yet, but it just it, it worries me that somebody at some point may think, "Hey, what's with this guy? He he can't be bothered to be here when we're here." You know, he does what he just doesn't like us. He doesn't want to hang out with us. He doesn't. I, want I don't us. think there's ever been that thought. No, I really don't. And I, I have to admit, I've been jealous a number of times. I'm like, damn, you got them? I've been trying to do a podcast with them forever and a day. And then, you know, here they are, but I'm not I'm not there. It was like, ah. But the other thing, and this one I'm really serious about. I gave you guys friendly grief about it on Facebook, but I really was serious about this. Why is it that when I'm not here... You guys pick all the awesome books, all the books. I'd be like, damn, I'd really like to talk about that. That's a really good book or that's a really good story or whatever. And then when I am with you guys, I get F troop. (laughs) I guess I I can tell you, at least for me, you have nothing to do with it. I pick the book that I'm picking and and I really don't pick the book based on who's who I'm doing it with. Uh-huh. It it has nothing to it's just luck of the draw. It is sheer happenstance. There is no big conspiracy. It's not a plot. Don't worry about it. It's yeah, I, I don't I I just, you know, go for a book. Hey, I'll do this book. Why? Did you want to do uh, well, well, what was the three which one did you want to, you wanted to do the Shazam one from the last one? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, there's there's been a whole bunch of them because I was I was looking back through episodes. And I'm like, damn, that was a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. It was all these great comics you guys have covered. 
But then when we're get when we get together, it's like, wait, what? Well, there I was mean, the, I'm just, the Battle mm-hmm. Beasts or whatever it was, and Apollo Brute Force, Brute Force, Fruit Brute, <laughs> Fruit Brute. Oh, guys are killing me, killing me. Yeah, you weren't there for Apollo Smile, so that one, I, yeah, I'm good with that one. But the the one that you most recently posted on Facebook was the one we did with uh, Dave Weeder. Yeah, and I think the book that probably you know got the hair on the back of your neck to stand up was Shazam, which was Dave's book. Yeah, that wasn't even true. Bill that, That's true. Yeah, because you unless you the really wanted to, which I think I, I've already talked about on a podcast before. Which one? And uh, the Ultimates. Mm-hmm. And then Brit, which is like, eh, thanks, no. Yeah. See. So, so yeah. Okay. All right, I'll Let's give see. you that one. We got clean hands. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. We just got to make sure that Dave... There was that, there was that hooker oh. at, at the convention, remember? Don't forget about that. So, all right, but anyway, are we ready to dive into the first book, you think? I think so. I think it's time. All right. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, because uh, I think you'll I think you'll enjoy my uh, my synopsis on this one, if I can find it here. Let's see. Here we go. You got a pre-written one? I do have a pre-written Look at one. You. Yes, you like them? Yeah. Well, I wanted to make sure I covered all the notes on this because this was actually deceptively uh, complex here. Because I, I read it over and I thought, well, I could probably wing one, but I, I want to make sure I cover all the points on this one. So, yep, I did write one up. So, <clears throat> we're going back to September 1973 for this one. This was on sale June 5th, 1973. This is The Incredible Hulk, number 167. Cover on this is by Herb Trimpey, which uh, I must admit is entirely the reason that I bought this particular issue. I bought it for the cover. I thought the cover was just friggin' cool. I saw it and I thought, that's pretty neat. And uh, it depicts giant Modoc. You know, Modoc, for anybody that doesn't know, Modoc's essentially just a giant head. And in this, on this cover, you know, he's got his giant head, but his giant head is actually fitted into like the, like the face compartment, like the, the head compartment of this giant robot. And this robot is stomping on the Incredible Hulk. And uh, Modok is saying, you may frighten those uh, whimpering mortals, Hulk, but to Modok, you're just one more ant to be crushed. And he is, he's kind of crushing the Hulk and the Hulk looks very pained while he's stomping on him. And in the background, you've got a New York State Hospital for, and I'm going to presume it says mentally something or other. It just says M.E., but as you'll find in the story, that it's this is probably a, the nut hatch here. Yeah, what I like is the, push-ups in front yeah, of, the, guy, <laughs> the guy that's doing like the crab crawl or something. What the hell is that about? It's like he's he's down doing the you know that count that they do in wrestling or something. It's weird. <laughs> and so uh, the original cover price on this, brace yourselves. 20 cents. Can you believe it? Outrageous. Highway robbery. Yeah. Steve Engelhart is the author. That is what, how he's credited here as the author. Herb Trimpey, the artist. Jack Abel, the inker. And other people did other stuff that I'm not going to talk about. The story is entitled To Destroy the Monster, even though the cover clearly says Destroy Cries the Monster. So there you go. Two different titles on this one. So... The Incredible Hulk wanders alone through a misty bog when he hears the approach of a plane flying overhead. Assuming it is more bothersome humans out to shoot at him, the Hulk leaps into the sky for a closer look and in the process scares the living shit out of General Thunderbolt Ross who is on his way home 
after having been sprung from a Russian prison. Ross, dressed in civvies and attempting to essentially sneak back in unnoticed, presumably to uh, uh, to like avoid embarrassing the State Department or something, that point wasn't really clear to me, is uh, dreading having to tell his daughter, Betty, that her husband, Major Glenn Talbot, is dead. Apparently, Talbot was killed saving the general, but a caption box informs us, the reader, that the major is actually, he survived, and uh, this is just not known by Ross. The plane touches down at JFK Airport, and father and daughter are tearfully reunited. But things go south, way south, the moment Ross regretfully informs Betty that Glenn didn't make it. Betty comes completely unglued and screams at her father that it is all his fault and that she never uh, even got to cook a meal for her husband. She slaps the old bastard and storms out, calling for Talbot. Ross's assistant, Arm Brewster, latches onto Betty and attempts to uh, quiet her for fear of blowing their cover, but the damage is done because Betty drew the attention of a nearby reporter who questions Ross and receives a punch in the head in reply. <laughs> All of this is witnessed by a nondescript airport employee who gets on the horn and reports to his boss, the head of AIM. The head of AIM. See what I did there? Modoc. Turns out that the bulbous freak has been jonesing for some way to take the Hulk off the table as he figures the Green Goliath is the only thing standing in his way, you know, except for Captain America, Iron Man, the Avengers, the Defenders, the Fantastic Four, Team America, and the Micronauts, but I digress. I'm sure, I'm sure Team America is what he should be afraid of. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, that's one of these pet peeves, you know, we, I think it was Mike Bailey and I that did a show, or at least we talked about doing a show at one point about the way, 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 way overused cliches in comics. Seems to me we really did do that show, but maybe we just dreamt about doing it. I can't remember. But, you know, there's so many cliches in comics that have just gotten way overused over the years. And one of the ones that drives me nuts is that, you know, there's this greater Marvel, and Marvel really is the one where it stands out, I think, the most. There's this greater Marvel universe, which at any minute... Any character from any other book can drop in, drop out, you know, and, and that's the great thing that everybody loves about Marvel is this sense of it is a shared universe. So whenever your villain says something like, you know, what Modoc says here, only the Incredible Hulk stands in my way, that it just seems silly to me because... You know, like I pointed out here, well, what about all these other heroes? You know, just because you take the Hulk out doesn't mean that now you can take over the world because then you've got to contend with all these other guys that are going to stand in your way. So it's just, it's really silly when they say that. But of course, I, I, I understand the point. But I, mm -hmm. I think in this instance, uh, despite the fact that he's been defeated by other people in the past, I think his, his ego is taking over and he's thinking the Hulk is the only one powerful enough to defeat him. Uh, maybe. Like that—that uh, that was the way I interpreted it. That's he's a, that's a head a in a chair. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's ridiculous because because even even he says that the submariner took him and threw him against a wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, he figures this is useful news, and uh, you know what the guy reported to him, and maybe he can find a way to use the crazy bitch to his advantage. Oh, and we get a, a look at his swanky new giant robot body in the process, too, which is pretty cool. Back in the foggy bog, the Hulk is making fists with his toes in the mud when Jim Wilson comes along to hang out with him. This is actually a tender moment, and uh, you know we get a glimpse into the stunted thought process of the Beast. 
he beseeches Jim to explain to him why his life sucks. Why has uh, why is he has you know why does he have so few friends and why is everyone out to hurt him when all he wants is for people to like him and he doesn't actually want to hurt anybody at all. And like I said, I thought that was kind of a tender moment. And then it's all spoiled by Jim's response that, eh, you're a big freak, that's why. And that's pretty much literally what, what Jim says to him. You're a big, strong freak, and that's why everybody hates you, or something to that effect. It was just like, uh Because up to that moment, I was, I was kind of digging that scene. And yeah, Jim, why don't you just get some incurable disease and go away? <laughs> well, it also Sorry. hit a little close to home to me, because I think I've lived that moment before, you know? Like, like, why don't I have more friends, and why is everybody out to hurt me? I don't want to bother anybody and get the response, well, you're just a big freak, so yeah. And yeah. Chris Honeywell came up and said, because you're a big freak! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So instead of pounding the little uh, shit into pace, meaning uh, Jim, of course, the Hulk instead reverts back to Bruce Banner, wearer of purple pants, and is informed by Jim of Betty's predicament. Uh, She's been taken to a sanitarium on Long Island. Sanitarium. (laughs) Leave me be. Sorry. sorry. It really should take take her to some eye clinic. (laughs) (laughs) Was she she an extra on... Uh, a clockwork orange or something. She had oh, one of them head things on. She goes bug-eyed here in a minute. So Bruce takes a cab to see her, and I'm not even going to ask how he paid for the fare. And after Jim had much the money. Internal... What? Jim had the money. He had the clothes. Maybe he gave him I the guess. money. I guess. I guess. Oh, that makes Bruce Banner that guy. You know, that guy that's always bumming everything off of his friends. Can't you know? Can't seem to get his stuff together. You know. Think he could have a purple wallet, some purple <laughs> money in it. <laughs> so after much internal monologue, uh, monologuing about how he still loves her so, Bruce visits Betty. But, and here's where I'm going to save Paul just a little bit of editing. I'm going to put it this way. She totally fips the fluck out. Now, you and I know full well that deep down, women's is all crazy, right? And most of them, not all that deep down, if you're really honest about it. But I'm telling you that this bitch really loses her shit on him. She goes completely maniacal and proceeds to whoop ass on poor puny Banner to a point where, you guessed it, he hulks out. He has (laughs) had enough of her. (laughs) Yes. At first, the Hulk's really pissed at her, and it looks like he's snapping her arm like a twig in panel three of page 17. It really does. And in the next panel, panel four, it looks like he's about to make a wish and just pull her apart, which actually would have been kind of cool. But a stern dressing down by her doctor convinces the Hulk to run away. Now, I'm thinking this guy's got balls of steel, right? That's never addressed in the story. But a doctor yells at the Hulk, and the Hulk runs away. I'm like... Wow, okay. So uh, Betty's nurse reports all these goings on to Modoc. Turns out she's another agent of Modoc. So later, Sad Hulk picks flowers for Betty and decides to try again. He arrives back at Betty's clinic for round two, but instead finds two story tall Modoc watching her sleep from outside the hospital window. Peeping Modoc. I would just like to say that if there's one thing in this world guaranteed to make me piss the bed, it would probably be waking up to find a giant dead-eyed baby-headed freak staring at me while I slept. I'm just saying. Really? Because that's never bothered me. <laughs> I'm telling you, that panel is the stuff of nightmares, dude. It really That's the creepiest moment in the entire issue. Is Modoc's face 
filling the window watching Betty sleep. It's like that scene in Kong, but like so much more disturbing. So, of course, a tussle breaks out between Hulk and Modok. In fact, the first panel of page 22 where Hulk, flowers in hand, is kicking Modok's giant foot really cracked me up. This totally reminds me of old Popeye cartoons where they fight over olive oil and like Popeye had, you know, either Popeye or Bluto had the the flowers still in their hand while they're fighting. I just thought that was funny. But the kicker to this one, (laughs) no pun intended, is Hulk getting a swift boot in the ass on panel four of page 22. I mean, how often do you ever see the Hulk booted in the ass? I just thought that was great. He's he's like, it just says kawam. He's flying through the air and the flowers are going everywhere. I just love that panel. So anyway, Modok does get in one good shot and one good stomp to the Hulk before the rampaging one just takes apart his new playsuit. Modok, reduced again to just being a giant cranium, flies away. But, swears Modok, the battle is not done because the instrument of his revenge, that's Betty Talbot in case you weren't paying attention, is already preparing itself. Next issue, the Green Goliath loses in mortal combat with the only foe he cannot kill, the Harpy. Mortal Kombat! You know, I haven't read a lot of Hulk from this era, but when I got to the end of the story and I saw that next issue thing, it really made me happy because one of the few I did have from this era as a kid was I had a very dog-eared and coverless copy of the next issue where Betty becomes the Harpy. Spoiler alert. And I really liked that story a lot, even though she's completely... The Harpy's a completely ridiculous-looking character, but I always liked that story a lot. kind of like a big green chicken. Yeah, well, plus the, the <laughs> scene where she gets mutated into him, she's naked through oh, yeah. those scenes. As and a kid, I, really, I love that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, quick notes on this one. Uh, I absolutely love the cover. As I said, this is the reason I bought the issue. Um, I found this recently at, uh, at my LCS. It was a dollar. And the only drawback to it is it stinks like smoke like that. What was the other comic I got recently? Marvel, Marvel Team Up. Marvel, Marvel Team Up. Yeah, it, it it must come from the same collection. So it has a terrible smoke smell. But other than that, the colors are super vibrant. It looks really good. It's in great shape. And uh, and I really dug it. I mean, totally worth a dollar. Um, you guys know full well. I know Paul knows because uh, I think this is one of the things that we disagree about. I'm not much for Herb Trimpey. And I've since honestly, I've probably said some pretty unkind things about him over the years. But... I really liked this. I, I really, I of course, like I say, I love the cover, and the cover is trimpy. But I like the interiors too. I think part of my problem, I ne- I just never really cared for his Hulk. Now, so that seems like a really stupid thing to say. Yeah, I really like the issue, but I don't like his Hulk. But yeah, that I still stand by that. I I like the issue a lot. I thought the art was actually pretty good. I just don't care for his Hulk. There's something just a little bit off and and it's mostly in his face because the body's not bad and everything, but he draws the Hulk to look like he's, you ever see those teeth that you can buy out of like the old gumball machines, you know, and you'd you'd get like, like goofy teeth or or like, or like redneck teeth or something like that's It looks like the Hulk's wearing like false, like teeth or something. He just looks ridiculous. So I don't really, that's my problem with his particular Hulk. But then, you know, there are some good ones, too. Like on page 12, the next to last panel where uh, where Hulk is just talking to Jim. I mean, that one, I I kind of like that. 
So, I mean, they're not all bad. I really like how he draws uh, Modoc and most of the other people in the in the story. And when Betty goes nuts, it's frightening, man. She's just scary crazy. She's got, like, and, no pupils. It's just right? white with a dot in her eyes. <laughs> that would scare the hell out of me, too, man. If I came yeah. home and my wife, her eyes were wide open, white with these little black dots. Like, oh, my God. I mean, she already hates me, so... Now, granted, no, she's I'm gone full mental in this one part, but how much of a pussy is Bruce Banner? That panel where she goes nuts and she's going, hate you, hate, 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 and he's going, Betty, please don't, Betty, and he's putting his hands up in front of him, and I'm like, fight back, you wuss. No, well, no, because he can't. He's Why the not? Hulk if he, because, because of what exactly happens. He's trying not to get... No, no, upset, no, no. so he doesn't change into the Hulk. Yeah, and then he changes into the Hulk because he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, no, just just restrain her. She's, she's yeah. she must weigh like seventy pounds. She's instead, got that... he, instead he gets he gets so upset he's ready to cry, and then he turns into the Hulk cause of it. She's got the crazy strength. You know how when people are crazy they get super strong. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, she's she's fully just she's money. she could hurt herself. He doesn't know what to do. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, that's true. It's not like he's he's a brilliant physicist or something. <laughs> that's, that, that's that's right. <laughs> it's not rocket scientist. You know, you rocket scientist. <laughs> oh, what else did I have on this one? Uh, two quick things. This is reprinted in the first chapter of Marvel Treasury number twenty six which I am desperate for a copy. So if anybody knows where I could find that on the cheap, I would really appreciate it. Um, I've been hunting that one for quite some time now. And the only other thing, I looked through here to see if there were any decent ads or anything. There's really not. I mean, there's a couple like stupid laughable ones. I'm just going to kind of ignore those. But there was, and the bullpen, bullpen uh, bulletins, I can't talk tonight, bullpen bulletins page, is the uh, the death announcement for Bill Everett, the creator of the Submariner? So I thought that was sad. Said he passed away February twenty seventh. That must be seventy three. I'm guessing, and just a, a write up on that. So that was about it. Um, grades on this one, I'm going to give the the cover a straight up. Um, hmm. Let me think. Let me think. I'm really going to have to think about that because I mean it did its job. At the end of the day, the jobs the 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 cover's job is to sell the book, and that's what it did. I saw it. You know You know. I don't really care much for Herb Trimpey. I'm not really all that you know, keen on Hulk from this era. And a buck for a back issue, to me, I, and I know this makes me sound super cheap, but a buck for me as a back issue is a little steep. I'm, I'm used to like the 50-cent bin, but it did its job. I, I just saw this, and I was like, damn, that's a great cover. I got to own that issue. Even if the interior ends up sucking, I like the cover, and... And as it turned out, I didn't think it sucked. So let me think. The perspective, when you really pay attention to it, it's a little strange. So I, I'd take a point off for that, I guess. I'm going like to say like a B plus because I really dig the cover on this. It could be a little more refined and the Hulk looks a little goofy in the face. But uh, overall, I really dig the cover a lot. This is a, this is a classic cover, I think, or classic style of cover that I like. Kind of the, the creepy, weird cover. I always dug that in this era. Uh, as far as the story, hmm, that's a tough one. I, I got a kick out of it. I thought it was really good, although a lot happens and there's a lot of exposition and stuff, but then all of a sudden you get to the end of it and it just kind of just ends. There's not really like a satisfying wrap-up to the to the whole thing. But overall, I'd say, 
say a, a solid B for the story. I thought the story was actually pretty good. There, there was a lot of stuff going on in this. And for the interior arts, I'm going to say a C plus, which I hope doesn't sound overly harsh. But as I said, I, you know, Trimpy's just not my guy. So usually with a Trimpy story, especially latter day Trimpy that I'm more familiar with, like when he worked on uh, like Wonder Woman and he did some chapters of the Crisis in Time story. Uh, things like that. When I look at that stuff, to me, it was just abysmal. And I think that's why I had such a low opinion of him. But looking at this, that's, you know, 20 years earlier, I can see where the guy, you know, he had a certain style and he had some chops and everything. He knew how to tell a, a story. So I think C plus is a pretty good grade on this. There, there are some wonky bits. And again, I really don't care for his Hulk, but overall I, I did really dig this quite a bit. So I'd, I'd say C plus for the, uh, for the artwork. What did you guys think of this? Had you read I'm this? Am- I hadn't read this before. I'm amazed that nowhere in this book do you get the obligatory what does the acronym MODOK stand for? That's true. Yeah. Because usually mental organism designed only for killing. You know, it's it's always there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that it's not here. I'm also amazed that MODOK in the big splash page where he's revealed is getting his nails done. <laughs> Is he? Yes, a little, a little to the right, please. Thank you. Yeah, I gotta flip wonderful. back to that. Oh, you're right. It does look like he's getting his nails done by a chef. I, I could almost hear the music from the Wizard of Oz when they when they when they go in. You know, when they're getting uh, all groomed. <laughs> With the cowardly line. <laughs> Come forward. No, 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 no. I'm thinking the happy music no, no. when they're getting done. <laughs> yeah, when they're. No one gets in to see Modoc. Even I can't get in to see Modoc. Not nobody know how. <laughs> I am the great and powerful Modoc. That was that that particular page is Modoc trying to do Kirby. Yes. Did you say Modoc trying to do Kirby? Mo- yeah, Trippy doing something. This is my Kirby impersonation. <laughs> well, he even has a little bit of a Kirby face there. <laughs> Actually, he's got a Louis Anderson face in a lot of these shows. <laughs> in a lot of them. And I find that to be hilarious. Now, now what's up with the guy in that particular shot? This, 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 is this... he still alive? <laughs> yes, no, he I... is. Because, you know, is. Scott McGregor posted on the forum that he really wants to see Modoc in a Marvel film, and I completely agree. And goddamn, I want Louis Anderson to play Modoc. Ah, in that particular shot, there's, there's three <laughs> platforms. There's the one guy who's doing Modoc's nails. What's the, what are the other two that are standing at attention doing? Why are they there? I don't know. And down at the very bottom of that shot. On the left, isn't well, that the guy these... who's calling up to tell Modoc about what's going on? No. Look, look at him they, and turn no, to they, the next page. They look a lot alike, but they are different. Because the one, the one on page eight, the one that's walking out of the room, he's got like a like a hunter's cap or something, an aviator goggles. Yeah, he, has a, he has a little like... little little feminine bow in the top of it. <laughs> that's a hunter's cap. That looks like the UPS man. It's Elmer Fudd. Ugh. <laughs> hunting Buddy Talbots. I'm hunting Modox. Well, what's up with the people standing at attention on the posts, anyway? I think he's uploading their because it says oh, that he's uploading he's getting, their brains. Yeah, like he's getting Brady. the information, mass brains. Uh, that yeah, I think that's where he's getting. He's sucking her brains out or something. I don't know. <laughs> the what's the guy in the purple in the purple jacket doing there on the left hand side? He's, he's handing something to the guy in the chair. Here, oh, is that what he's doing? Yeah. He's like, here, they, 
The guy up top needs his nail file to finish Modoc's nails. Take here, it to Billy. Him. You forgot your you forgot your thermos full of soup. Thanks, Dad. Now get the hell out of here. I'm working. No, so this is where you work. Can you introduce me to your boss. <laughs> Mr. Modoc. Oh, Mr. Big Shot in his big chair. Billy oh, keeps saying that you're a little mean to him. <laughs> I'm not mean to Billy. And I think it's time that he gets a promotion. Maybe he could stand on the big post for a while. <laughs> Maybe he could I, have the next post up. I really like uh, Modoc's hover round that he's using on page nine. Bill, you need one of those things, man. It reminds me of going into any Disney theme park. I see this all the time. Yeah, but Those it, little arms. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you just talking about me? <laughs> yeah, either or. <laughs> the shot the, the shot of Modoc before, right before the Hulk is sticking his toes in the sand, that is Louis Anderson, all where he's saying, in, in other words, Betty Talbot, that is where I got the Louis Anderson shot from. <laughs> well, he's got some serious jollage going on there, too. <laughs> Modoc needs to lay off the cheeseburgers. You know what I really want to see? I want to see Modoc and uh, oh, who's the bulbous-headed freak in DC that fights Green Hector Lantern? Hammond. Hector Hammond. I want to see them fight to the death over a cheeseburger. Fight. Well, the two. Well, the two of them start to fight, but neither one has arms long enough to reach the other, so they just keep <laughs> slamming into each other. It's, it's like two big T Rexes. They just slap. They just spin in circles trying to hit each other. Now, now I have now I have images of Cartman running in and going. Cripple fight! (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Mark Callback. You want to draw something? Draw that, dude. Oh, man. That's not funny. Doesn't it look like Hulk's playing with the with the sand with his feet though in that scene? Squish squish, yeah. Ah. So this this story <sighs> is several months before I started reading the Hulk. Mm-hmm. I, I picked this one up, you know, probably for twenty five cents, you know As a back issue? As a back issue when it was probably six months old. Mm. And uh I, yeah, I love I particular I love this era of the Hulk. I know you don't, but I do. Uh it's not that I don't. It's just I, I really have had very little exposure to it. Is it's part of my thing. But you know, having now read this, I, I'm very intrigued, and I do have a lot of issues from this era. I just that's the weird thing is that over time, um, I know we've talked about this before. How you kind of amass like a sub collection within your collection just by like buying so many comics, or in, in my case, by buying collections. I have wound up with so many comics and, and like long runs of comics that I, you know, sometimes I'm going through my stuff and I'm just like, holy shit, I have that. I didn't even know I had that. Hulk is one of those things that over the years, just by buying collections, I have amassed so many issues of the Hulk. And I really have read very little of them because my my, you know, the, the thing I've done the most with the Hulk would be, you know, the burn run, which was very short. And then probably the first several years of when Peter David took over, you know, so going through the gray Hulk and all of that beyond that, I'll I'll be honest, you know, it's been in fits and spurts beyond that, mostly, you know, an issue here, an issue there. So I I don't really have, you know, a a solid uh, impression of, you know, of other eras of the Hulk. 
And it's one of those ones I keep meaning to go back and kind of bone up on, and I just never quite get around to it. But whenever I I do just get a random issue like this, generally speaking, I end up enjoying them quite a bit. And I really dug this. I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, like I said, this is is my era. He was pretty consistent during this time. Like, once Peter David got hold of him, he started changing him. You know, he, he would fluctuate he'd go from the gray hulk to right intelligent hulk to angry hulk to joe fix it this this he was consistent this personality that you get in this one was pretty much you know when they originally introduced the hulk they didn't quite know what to do with him and then eventually they settled into this this level persona and intelligence level and everything and it stayed this way for a very long time yeah this is the Hulk I remember as a kid. You well, know, this is the Hulk, it, like from the Hulk cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons because this was the Hulk that existed as I was growing up as a kid. I think that's one of the reasons I I wasn't a bigger Hulk fan until like say the TV show because one of the things I liked about the TV show and it's funny because I I listened to a lot of other fans especially people that were a fan of the the comic book Hulk first before they fell in love with the TV show, a lot of them lament the fact that the Hulk never spoke on the TV show. I kind of liked that because the Hulk that existed in the comics, to me, I've, I've always labeled him, and I know it's wrong to say, but I always labeled him as retarded Hulk because that's just how he talked. Like he was just, you know, mentally he just wasn't all together. He had the mind of like a five-year-old. And one of the things I've been meaning to do for years, and one of these days I really have to do it, is I want to read the Hulk like from the beginning up to like say this era to get a feel for when exactly did that happen? Because I've read like the original six issues of the Hulk, you know, before it was canceled and he went off to be in some other book or something. What is he in like Tales to Astonish or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. And you know, so I've read the original six. And in that, he was a lot more like like Mister Fixit, you know, where he was he was kind of the dark side of Bruce uh, Banner's personality, as opposed to like you know a, a, a stupid beast like he is here. Yeah, and I I'm think it was that he was more of a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde back then. Exactly, and that's you know I, I'm very curious where exactly is the delineating line if there even is one between the Jekyll Hyde version and stupid Hulk version I, I'd really like to know you know was it a slow evolution was it a was it a you know a flick of a switch like one day it just all of a sudden this is how he is I I'd love to discover that and I I just I like I say I haven't ever gotten around to it but I'd like to I've I've read all those issues uh and it really was kind of a flick of a switch when they when they went to Tales to Astonish, that was kind of, it pretty much went to that right away. Okay. And I, I think the thought process was that the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing didn't work because it made him less sympathetic. Right. You know, it made it harder to root for him as the hero of your book. I could definitely see that because, uh, you know, of course, to this day, my favorite version is the Grey Hulk of the Peter David stuff. But he was very much uh, kind of an anti-hero. In a, in a lot of ways. And I think the only reason that worked is because a lot of people, like me, had kind of tired of the other incarnations. So for a time, the the gray Joe Fixit Hulk was a novelty. I don't know that it could have run much further than it ran. I mean, I think there's a reason why he exists just in that block of time and then eventually David had to shake it up and, and do something different with the character. Because I, I don't know that you could continue 
to portray him that way in, in interesting ways, because at the end of the day, he was kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. But I liked that for that time. It, it really worked well that, uh, and I liked when they had him changing by moonlight as opposed to changing due to anger or anything like that. So it just it, for a time, it created a new dynamic and it was very interesting. And it's funny now that I think back on it, I guess it, it would technically it would make me a bit of a hypocrite because I don't like it when they do that. You know, they take a character and they, they kind of turn it on its ear just to try to do something different. But in that particular case, I just thought it really worked because it took a character that up to that point just never really worked all that well for me. I never I, I thought he was kind of stuck in a rut and made him interesting again. Were, were you reading the Hulk at all during that time when they when they shook him up like that? Early on in that era, I was. I didn't. That was around the time when I ended up you know, bailing from comics for a while. I got you. But I did. I, in the beginning, I was there. Uh, I, I I actually differ from you on that because I like when they turn a character on his ear. Because the way I figure it is, if the stories work, then you get some good stories, and if they don't work, right. they're just going to revert it back to what it was anyway. Right. They o- they always have the the ability to go back. So I, I don't have a problem with them trying something new, like. That's why I, I really, really enjoyed the whole uh, Superior Spider-Man run that we had recently. I thought that was excellent. Mm-hmm. And that was turning the character on its ears, certainly. But in this book, uh, I agree with you. I think everything you said about the cover is true, uh, including the fact that the perspective is a little wonky at some points. Uh, but I think the cover is, I think it's a solid B. It's not an all-time great cover that you you know bring to mind right away, but it's real solid. Right. Uh, the art within, I think Trimpy ranges from the stuff that you hate, which is probably a D, to his best is probably a solid B. I don't right. think you know as much. I do like Trimpy, but I don't think he was ever an A artist. Artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, this to me is not his best but it's also not his worst so i'm thinking c plus on the interior art there's a couple of shots that i'm just not happy with uh just some of the angles he chose some of the uh just some of the choices he made that i'm not crazy about but i do i I love the louis anderson modok uh (laughs) i i i I like crazy betty i i I don't know what's going on with the eyes there i'm blaming the lack of pupils on the inker bad contacts but uh overall i think you know the art is solid it's better than average uh, average would be a C, so I'm saying C plus on the art. Um, yeah, I think that's what I gave it too. And story wise, I'm going to give the story a B because I think it a lot happens in this issue. It's pretty dense. Uh, I think the motivations, like Modok's motivations and all, trying to to get Betty to bathe her in gamma rays because she's been exposed to it and all. I think it's kind of a cool story going on. So. I think you have a, a self-contained story here that's also building to an, another story, and I just like that. So I'm going to give the story a B. So overall, I guess the, the book gets about a B minus. Cool. So it sounds like this we're going to call this a BBC book. Yeah. <laughs> because cover, yeah, because I'm going to give the cover a B, um, and the the story I agree is is a little bit above the just your average story. But the art, yeah, I mean, it's it has a few, a few moments like that big splash is good, um, and some of the other moments between the Hulk and uh, Jim. But uh, but yeah, it's I mean it it tells a story well. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to come up with in the B. But yeah, it, it's a BBC book. Did my picture change by the way? Yeah, you you're a lazy oh. panda bear. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a coma panda. Coma panda. Those are supposed to be like the cutest things, and they'd rip your head off. <laughs> Just like me. You're right. If we could wake either of you. <laughs> yeah, we ready for the next book? All right. What do you got, Bill? <laughs> uh, wait, wait. Let me look around here. Um, um, I'm, I think I found it in this pool of water down here. I'll keep looking while you can do your book, Paul. All right. Well, this is almost like a uh, uh, building on la- last week's episode when we did uh, World's Finest 301. This is Superman Batman number one. Number one from October of 2003. And probably more people will be familiar with this as I think this was the first of the modern DC comic adaptations. Uh, it was made into a uh, into a, 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 an animated uh, feature titled Public Enemies. Yep. Love that. Yeah. Great score to that. The score to that uh, animated movie is fantastic. Well, the people who are listening to this will be hearing it in the background. It may seem very familiar to them, too. So the title of the issue, though, is not Public Enemies. It's The World's Finest. Written by Jeff Loeb, penciled by Ed McGinnis, inked by Dexter Vines, color by Dave Stewart, and letters by Richard Starkings. The story opens with inner monologues for both Superman and Batman, restating their origins and emphasizing their different personal philosophies. And so we go to Metropolis from there, where Superman flies to Star Labs, where black smoke is billowing from the building. Something sends him flying from the building right after he goes in. And, and as he goes by, we see a giant screen where President Luther is announcing his candidacy for re-election. We learn that Metallo is responsible for hitting Superman, and the two of them start to battle. He exposes Superman to his kryptonite heart, which knocks Superman out. And then he leaves, saying he doesn't want to kill him. As Superman ponders what just happened, we cut to Gotham City excuse me, to Gotham City Cemetery, where Batman is investigating some crime. And Superman shows up, and the two of them have a little expositional dialogue. And Superman tells him that Metallo did whatever crime that he's investigating at that point. Uh, he he mentioned that, uh, mentions at that point that before he was Metallo, he came from Gotham City. And as they're talking about it, Metallo actually shows up and grabs either a coffin or a crate, I'm not really sure what it is, and starts to battle with the two heroes. He takes Batman out with a kind of a cool telescoping arm, and he shoots Superman with a kryptonite bullet. Batman uses some sort of explosive to slow Metallo down long enough to conduct some field surgery on Superman to remove the kryptonite. But just about as he's done, Metallo buries them in an open grave that Superman had fallen into. He takes that crate that he had lifted, and he leaves. We cut to the Pentagon, where President Luther is being briefed on a kryptonite asteroid the size of Brazil that's entering the solar system and on a collision course with Earth. Captain Adam suggests informing Superman of this situation, but Luther rejects that, saying that Superman has saved us countless times, and it's time that we return the favor. And we pull back to see the Captain Adam, Major Force, and silhouettes of other characters... I assume threatening characters, and the story is to be continued. This is what happens when I do issues that are recent and decompressed. I do an anti-con type synopsis because th- there's just not enough content to go on and on as far as I'm concerned. Right. Oh, I could have I drawn this out for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure you could. 
And it's not that I don't like the story. This one I like. When we did uh, Ultimates two or three weeks ago, whatever, whatever it was, uh, looking back on it, I was disappointed. I had liked it when it came out. And reading it now just as a single issue, the decompressed nature of it bothered me. Uh, not so much in this one. I, I, I like this story. I thought this was, this was a good build up to uh, introduce the, the plot lines that they're going with and bring us to a kind of a fairly suspenseful end. I'm not the biggest Ed McGuinness fan. His artwork is just a little too cartoony for me. Uh, but he does a pretty good job on storytelling. Overall, overall, I, I, I think the story is really solid. Uh, and like I said, it builds towards something. So I'm going to give the story a B plus. Art-wise, again, it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, there's actually two different covers. There's one with Superman in the foreground and Batman in the back. And there's another one with Batman in the foreground and Superman in the back. Uh, and they're equally acceptable. Uh, to me, they're nothing special. Like I said, I'm not really, this isn't my stuff. Uh, so I'm going to just give the cover a C. And the internal artwork, I'm also going to give a C. So, I guess, based on the writing, we go up to a C plus for me. But uh, I, I have to say, I enjoyed the animated version more than I enjoyed the book. Well, one thing that I noticed that, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but the, uh, the way he draws Metallo reminds me a lot of the way Metallo was done in the Superman animated series. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's um, intentional. Yeah, because even when when I saw that, then I put Malcolm. I believe it Mal, uh, was Malcolm McDowell's voice. McDowell, was, yeah, yeah. I, I can just hear him voicing him while I was reading this, and I thought that was a nice touch that 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 they went with that. Um, yeah, I'm not a big McGinnis fan. This this isn't. I think the interior art is actually better than the cover. I don't know. Why it seems like usually the cover is a little bit more detailed. I don't know. It seems like the the interior is more detailed than the, than the cover to me. But I mean, I don't know. Story wise, it's it's. I like the opening split between uh, the story of Batman and the story of uh, Clark. Uh, when, you know, of, of, of the two and and you know their their origin. It's it's summed up pretty. Pretty cool. I like the perspective shot of uh, each child too. Is a nice touch. I don't know if I've seen the animated movie for this. I might have though. Uh, you need to if you if you haven't or you don't remember seeing it. You need to. Well, I picked this up. Um, I missed out on like the first. I started collect this run about twelve issues in, and I got the first two as trades. So I remember reading this all in one one quick swoop. And then getting it until about issue 50, and then I think I dropped out on it. But, uh, I don't know. I've babbled enough, Scott. You can jump in. I think I have a lot of the same reaction to this book that Paul had looking back at The Ultimates, number one. Which was, I kind of dug it when it came out with a couple of big exceptions, which I'll talk about in a moment. I remember, you know, th this was toward the tail end of my era of Superman. And I remember that Superman was, was starting to go in directions that were really bothering me. But one of the things that, you know, 
kept me sticking around for a while was that you know they kept making different uh, creative teams. You know, they kept bringing in different creative teams, and for a time, uh, uh, Ed McGinnis took over. I, I forget which one of the super books that he did, and his art style was. I was slow to warm to it, but once I did, I actually kind of dug it quite a bit. It's funny looking at it now, you know, uh, 11 years later, I'm looking at it and I'm not sure quite what I saw about it that I liked so much. This kind of reminds me now of looking back at, say, uh, Todd McFarlane's Amazing Spider-Man work and trying to figure out what the hell did I like about this so much because it doesn't quite hold up the same way. There are some parts that are brilliant and look really, really great. And then there's other parts where I look at it and I say, Ooh, I just don't really care for this overall. I, you know, generally I, I really like his Batman, but his Superman is very inconsistent. He frequently looks incredibly Asian and that bothers me and, and Asian in that, like that anime he he reminds mm. me of some anime character I've seen and I just can't think of which one it is because I just I'm not familiar enough with anime stuff. Goku from Dragon Ball Z could be, yeah, it could very well be that, but it it just does. I'm, you know, what's mm. funny is that I like how he tra- draws the body of Superman. It's frequently his face and hair that I don't like. He just looks a little too. Uh, you know, Japanese influence, which I, I understand that is actually his shtick anyway, is that he is, you know, his art style is, is very heavily uh, influenced by uh, manga and anime. And that's fine because he's toned it down enough here that it, it's not annoying. Like I find most of that stuff to be, but it is annoying in Superman's face. I, I just don't care for the way he generally draws Superman's face. The funny thing is, is that later in this series, you know, spoiler alert, you know this if you've seen the movie, Captain Marvel shows up. And I think that uh, McGinnis and Captain Marvel were made for each other. I think he is a wonderful fit for that character. And it's a damn shame that somebody didn't think to create a new Captain Marvel book with McGinnis being the artist of that, because I think that could have been great. Because his very cartoony style and the way he draws Superman, there's a lot, a lot of panels in this where I'm looking at Superman thinking, that's not Superman, dude, that's Captain Marvel. I mean, the, the cover, uh, the, the primary cover, at least on the copy I'm looking at, Superman looks like Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And then the first time you see Superman proper in the issue it's a split image superman's on one side batman's on the other superman looks like captain marvel you turn the page that one's not too bad and then you know from there i'm i'm serious like every other image looks more like captain marvel than it looks like superman because he's drawing this this squinky eyed version which i understand that joe schuster did that too and a lot of artists want to kind of bring that back that squinky eyed superman but there's something subtle, and I couldn't tell you exactly what it is, but there's something very subtle between Schuster's squinky-eyed Superman and Captain Marvel. They're very close, but they're not the same. And if you go too far one way, you've got Captain Marvel. And I think that's what McGinnis has. More often than not, he has Captain Marvel and not Schuster Superman. Every time you say squinky eye, I think we got the same squinky eye. What squinky eye? What squinky eye? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the other thing with this, now, I, I need to preface this by saying that while this opening chapter is a little light, overall, as I recall it, now, it's been a long time since I've actually read the story. I think a lot of my impression of this story is colored by Public Enemies, which is a movie that I just adore. I've watched it a million times. I really love Public Enemies. I think Public Enemies is one of the few times where the adaptation is stronger than the source material. Part of the reason I think it is is because they cut out a lot of bullshit with the, you know, because they only have what, I think that movie's only like 90 minutes or, or something like that. I'm thinking 70. Yeah, so they really pared it down to the essentials, which, you know, this is a very decompressed story. So when you ad- adapt it into an animated feature, you kind of have to recompress it. And that actually benefits this story a lot because the story is just far too decompressed. Um, that said, as I recall the written story, I dug it quite a bit. I'd have to read all of it again to see if that opinion uh, stays or not. But I know that one thing that definitely helped me really enjoy this was the uh, eventual appearance of Captain Marvel, which you know never hurts a story, in, in my opinion, especially the way he's used in this. The big negatives that this has is... I want to like Jeff Loeb. I really do. I think he's a solid writer. Uh, I've enjoyed most everything of his that I've ever read. But he does the thing in the post-crisis era Superman that annoys me the most, which is he refuses to get with the friggin' program. He did it constantly. He is one of the worst offenders of not playing by the rules when it comes to Superman, post-crisis, had a definitive origin that was laid out by Byrne. So this, technically speaking, is Byrne's Superman still, because that was the foundation of that character. This book opens with a, you know, with Clark. Now, granted, you could chalk this up. There, there is a way to no-prize this, that this is, you know, this is both characters dreaming back to their origins, as opposed to recapping, you know, their true origins. But... Really, the intent here is that, you know, you're seeing the origins of the characters. So Superman's perspective is wrong. He's seeing himself as an infant rocketed from Krypton before it explodes, arriving in a Kansas field and, and, you know, being greeted by the Kents, which that particular scene looks a lot like Superman the movie where the naked baby comes up and, you know, holds his arms out and everything. That is not the origin of this Superman. This Superman was gestating in a matrix chamber when he came to earth and was born in Mm. the cornfield or, you know, in the Kansas field. I know that seems very nitpicky, but for me, this is a big sticking point because it annoyed the piss out of me when I got stories like this, because it's like, no, damn it. This isn't this Superman anymore. He's changed. He has a different origin. It's funny. This series, I think this was treated almost like brave and the bold with Bob Haney. Right. That it wasn't really considered part of the, uh, it wasn't considered canon. Right. Yeah, I kind of remember that. I was trying to remember. Well, but yeah, there's things that happen later that tie in. Like, that cause, do tie uh, in, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. th- there's, there's a thing with Luther that mentions a crisis, doesn't he? Well, at when the very there, last there are definitely panel things of that the tie last in, issue. But I think this series is still meant to stand on its own. 
Well, the very last panel of the very last issue of this story arc ends with Luther, Luther saying there's going to come a crisis or there shall be a crisis or something like that, which eventually, of course, leads to Infinite Crisis, crisis. which was a universe-changing thing for DC. But I, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about because right. I was trying to... I went to Mike's Amazing World today and did a, a minimal amount of, of homework trying to find out you know, I was trying to figure where did this change occur with with Superman, and part of this spins out of. Um, I remember when McGinnis was uh, in the early stages of his run on Superman. There was a story that, man, I really, really wish I had Mike Bailey here for this to back me up, but I believe it was written by Lowe, but I could be wrong on that. But it was the issue where it's Superman's on the cover and it's a split image. And, you know, it's split like like they used to split Peter Parker, you know, where one half of him was Peter Parker and one half of him was Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing with this cover of Superman, where one half of him in the background is the John Byrne Krypton. And the other half in the background is very much a Silver age style Krypton. And it says something like everything you knew is wrong or something to that effect. And it was an attempt to reinvent him on the fly. So basically... This other rocket arrives, and it's a message from Jarrell saying, "Hey, everything you know about your origin is actually—it's all bullshit." And here's the real origin. Well, of course, the real origin was the Silver Age origin. So they were attempting to kind of do a retcon on the fly and give him back his classic Silver Age uh, origins. Now, it's more complicated than that because it ended up involving you know all this screwy stuff with time and somebody messing with him and all that. But the damage had already been done by that point because this is, of course, what Loeb wanted. He did this a number of times when he touched the character of Superman in this era where he just disregarded things that he didn't like. He he was not a fan of Burns' take on Superman, so any chance he got to kind of subvert it, he didn't miss that opportunity. And that annoys me greatly because I think a writer's job is to service the character, not some personal agenda that they have. And I think it, you know, it, we wonder sometimes why comics don't appeal to a wider audience or why comics, you know, certain characters don't appeal or why sometimes even a whole company like DC doesn't gain a new following or it loses people or whatever. Or, or new people have, find it hard to get into it. I think these are exactly the reasons. When you screw with things like this on the fly, then whether intentionally or not, it becomes complicated to people and they can't figure it out. Well, this isn't the same thing as what I was reading you know, a, a week ago. This doesn't seem to be... And they get confused and they just give up out of frustration. So I think he would have been much better served to you know, follow the continuity as it had been established prior to this. But again, I know that seems nitpicky, but I remember that really standing out to me very strongly when I read this for the first time in in 2003. The other thing, too, is that, again, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it's this storyline that slightly retconned Bruce Wayne to a point where now one of the things he's trying to accomplish in this story is to discover the murder of his parents because in this particular iteration of Batman, he doesn't know who killed his parents. That bothered me a lot because while it is interesting 
that we're teased in the course of this story that possibly the murderer of his parents is John Corbin, Metallo, which is kind of an interesting idea. And I think I understand what Loeb was going for, is that if Batman never caught his parents' killer, then that gives him added motivation. That at the end of the day, yes, he's fighting the Joker and the Riddler and these other guys, but maybe deep down, that wounded child is still seeking that killer, and he's never going to stop. He's never going to stop because that guy's still out there. I kind of like that, and I appreciate what he's trying to do. My problem with it is that by changing that origin to where he doesn't know who it is, then it takes off the table the single greatest Batman story ever told, in my opinion, which is the story where Batman catches the killer of his parents and confronts him. I love that story, and taking that off the table is just wrong to me because it is, it's a classic story. It's the classic Batman story beyond, uh, you know, beyond the origin of course. And so, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, even though I like what he was going for and it's an interesting idea at the end of the day, I'd sacrifice the interesting story and the interesting direction to be able to still have that classic story as part of Batman's canon. Cause I just think it's, it's too good to, to just retcon away, if you know what I mean. But I, I think to some extent they agree with what you're saying, and that's why they treated this as if it was an alternate universe. Right. I think I think that's exactly the reason. They, they didn't want to... They wanted to let Loeb tell the story he wanted to tell, but they didn't want him to change everything. Right. You know, I do, they, I do I'm, I'm sure they knew his, his stay was going to be somewhat limited, too. I do remember some wacky stories in this... Uh, run too. Yeah. Uh, what I'm trying to remember. What is in that box that Metallo takes? Is that his? Gwyneth Paltrow's head. I thought it was his body. Isn't <laughs> well, that, it? That's what I was thinking. Wasn't it his body? His original body? Yeah, that's what I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I thought I, it was Gwyneth Paltrow. I think it has something to do with like maybe he He's was a big promised head. a new body for doing whatever he's doing here. I, I really can't remember. It, it's been far that too long since I've read right, this. Though. Because, it, you know, of course, this is very different in the movie. And, the, and again, I'm much more familiar with the movie. In the movie, he's he's being used by Luthor, I think, just basically as muscle against Superman. Whereas in this, he has his own uh, agenda that he's, you know, he's working towards something else. So I my guess is that that's his body. Yeah, Bill, you, you will need to see this movie now. I can't remember. Yeah, maybe I'll see if it's on Netflix. I it might, think it might be. Might still be. It's it's really good. It has. I mean, one of my uh, biggest. Geek. I have the DVD. If you want to come by. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll be right up. One of my biggest geek outs watching, you know, a, a superhero movie uh, was in this one when uh, when Captain Marvel showed up because I didn't think that they would go that. I knew it was an adaptation of the story. But I really didn't think that they would go that direction to actually include um, Captain Marvel and Hawkman, and they include them both in it, and it's it was really good. But yeah, yeah good choice, uh, Paul. See, I don't only uh, pick the the good choices for when you're not here. <laughs> Scott, you're I, gonna love you're gonna love my book, F Troop. Oh, F -troop issue never mind, two. never mind. Damn. But I, I really did see this as a companion piece to since we did World's Finest last time. That had a direct influence on my pick in this one. Yeah, but Scott wasn't here for that in the overly long-armed Superman. What was that? It was 301? Yeah. 
I'm just curious if I have that. I just want to take a quick look and see if I actually have that. It's really There's not something good. <laughs> you will what you see it you will never be able to unsee it like you said last uh, last time. Cuz I know I have a, a decent collection of of world's finest. I know I don't have a whole lot of them, but yeah, okay. Oh, yes, this is the one with giant Yeah, okay. I don't remember the story, but yeah, that cover is just like what? And yet the cover is like the best thing. Yeah, pretty much. I think we gave the book uh, pretty much that was an almost an F. We we definitely drug you down to an F for the art, didn't it's, we? It's like he's got a urine sample in his eyes that's burning, and then for some reason he's got Kirby <laughs> crackle on his shorts. It's like ah, the burning. Ah, I got Kirby crackle on my nads. Ah. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I I don't know. That's gonna see. That's the. You know, this is always the every two every two two months I go into uh, deep evil hibernation because of work. <laughs>